Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Amazer Comic Book Podcast. I am your host, Kyle Bolin, and I am joined today by Todd Relu. Hey there. And Brian Mark. Yo. This is the first time we're recording without a... Well, I guess it's actually the second time we're recording without a fourth chair, because Brian and I did a secret test podcast that has never uh, been published and may never see the light of day, or maybe it will. And uh, it also was about our subject matter that we're going to cover today, which is Superman. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's why I was singing that awesome music when we were waiting to start. Uh, so we're going to be reading, will be read, we're going to be talking about Superman, Man of Steel, the miniseries from 1986, I believe it was? Yes, uh, which, Yep, which was the uh, the miniseries that John Byrne did to reintroduce Superman to the world post-crisis, meaning that they did the big uh, crossover event with DC Comics where they basically collapsed all of their multiversal comic books into one universe to try to simplify it and kind of bring everything back down to earth in terms of the power levels and in terms of the complexity of the of their multiverse and their characters uh but before we delve into the actual reading material we need to talk about what we're drinking so brian what are you drinking sir uh well my alcohol fairy has visited again uh his name is derek and he left some some rebel grapefruit ipa in my fridge which is brewed by the Boston Beer Company, also known as Sam Adams. Are you an IPA guy? Uh, I like IPAs. I don't love them. But since this one's, like, fruity, I like the fruitiness of it. Okay. Todd, are you an IPA guy? Can you drink an IPA? I could drink an IPA. I'm not an IPA guy. I'm not much of a beer guy. Every time I put an IPA in my mouth, I feel like it's trying to punch me in the face or something. It's, I don't know. I feel like I've been assaulted. Oh, it just feels like somebody's rubbing raw grass on my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> but you yeah, like it. That. That's what makes you an IPA. Yeah, fruity grass, right? <laughs> but this one's covered by the grapefruit flavor. Okay, which grapefruit, you know, just <laughs> mix a little bit of that sour sourness of a grapefruit in there. Todd, what are you drinking? Okay, tonight it is uh, inexpensive wine. It is called Love Noir. It's a sultry rose <laughs> from the wonderful year 2014, uh, and it does helpfully remind us on the back, love changes everything. So, huh. let that inspire you. Oh, okay. Did you ever watch the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt? Well, yes, mm-hmm. I have. Yeah, yeah. Whole noir thing. Pinot anyway. noir? Yeah, Pinot noir. Mid-sized yes, right. car. <laughs> there you go. <clears throat> anyway. It's the only lyric I remember. So anyway, oh wait, I got to talk about what I'm drinking, don't I? Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm cheating because uh, we are. I'm, I'm going to probably have this repeated several times, but I'm drinking uh, the Left Hand Milk Stout Nitro that I enjoy so much. Uh, it's probably my favorite beer, my go-to beer. So that's what I am drinking right now. I'm drinking it out of a Star Trek Scotty glass. He's saying she can't take much more of this, Captain. <laughs> and there is a picture of a shuttlecraft. <laughs> nice. Anyway, Man of Steel. Uh, Man of Steel is six issues, and it starts off with book one, uh, the title of which is From Out of the Green Dawn. Uh, and we are shown a alien world. It obviously is Krypton. Anybody that's... Uh, I wonder how many people are not familiar with Superman's backstory, because 
Um, I kind of feel like it's just kind of something you take for granted these days. Uh, he's, you know, the oldest superhero pretty much. And unless you were, uh, an Encino man that just came out of the ice and you've been in the ice since before 1938, Superman is an alien from planet Krypton. And that is where we begin. Uh, so we see basically the whole origin story that everybody's already kind of familiar with. Although I think there's a few twists on it that maybe, um, they're a little bit different than maybe, I I don't know, like, Looking at this origin story, it reminded me a lot of the movie Man of Steel. It seemed like there was a lot of elements that kind of made the transition from this comic book to that movie. Um, did you guys notice any of that? I know, Todd, you said you hadn't seen Man of Steel yet, but Brian, you have, haven't you? I have not either. Oh, great. Okay. Well, well I mean, I think, you know, I haven't seen that, but I, it is an interesting sort of take. I mean, it's almost the idea being, it's a, you know, another world, obviously, but the idea being in some ways that this is sort of a super advanced human... Is he breaking up for you, Brian? Yep. I can hear you humming now. All right, is this better? Yes. Yes. Okay. So should I clap to start us off again? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, snap. There we go. There you go, perfect. Um, So it's sort of a super advanced human race in a way, but they've kind of gone the way of sort of opposed to like a brave new world where they get to a point in which they're using like science to have more sex all the time they've kind of gone to the super scientific end of like there's no coupling people are born in test tube sort of setup yes um, you know it's it's an interesting take uh, it's certainly not what i got when i watched uh, the original well not the original superman but the uh christopher reeves superman I right. thought Marlon Brando would never uh, live in a society that was entirely sexless, I don't think. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely not. Uh, but that that's the that's one of the main elements that I was kind of referring to, is I believe that in The Man of Steel, they actually refer to, like, the birthing matrices or whatever. And I think that they actually make a point in that movie of pointing out that Clark or, you know, Kal-El was the first child born out of actual coupling actual you know intercourse in like centuries or something like that um that it was that that jor-el and lara had gone against the grain by conceiving him in a traditional way rather than the the more modern way that they have but it just kind of was interesting to me to see that some of those elements are present in both of these places because when i saw the man of steel that was kind of a novel thing to me because i think my whole concept of superman's origin didn't involve that either because it wasn't involved in the uh the christopher reeve superman right uh which i think for us is probably our first exposure to superman and most of the superman mythos since we're all you know like children of the very very early 80s uh, you know, so we grew up with that stuff before. Is this the first time they've gone to Krypton in the comic books, or is it's been done before? That they've done what with Krypton? Have they gone to Krypton to explain his origin? Like, I, I, uh, I know in the original, 86. like, 1930s stuff, obviously they didn't. They just kind of mentioned he was an alien, right? Uh, yeah, I don't remember. I'm not a Superman historian, but I've read a lot of books about Superman, and, and it seems like... I recall in a vague sense that many of the elements that we have come to know are related to Superman came out of the radio program um, in the 40s. And Krypton might have been one of those things. I'm not positive. I really don't yeah. know. But but a lot of elements started coming out of the radio program. Um, some of it might have even come out of like the serials that were in the theaters at the time. Uh, like 
you know, I, I think if you go back and you watch those old Max Flesher cartoons, I don't even think he's flying yet in those cartoons. He's just doing the, you know, like leaping tall buildings in a single bound sort of a thing. So Superman's abilities and Superman's origin stories and all of the little elements that you uh, associate so closely with Superman, like Lois Lane and, and you know, like Lana and, um, you know, like Perry White, Jimmy Olsen, all those things, they didn't all like just occur right at the origin. Um, but I believe that Krypton had been addressed in the um, in the Silver Age quite a bit because, you know, there was so much convoluted stuff involved with Superman and his origin story and what other things had come from Krypton uh, in the Silver Age. That was one of the things they were trying to streamline when they did the Crisis on Infinite Earths to collapse it all into something a little bit more manageable. Like, I think up to that point, Superman was one of the only was one of the refugees from Krypton but there was also Supergirl there was like uh let's see Crypto the super dog he had a super horse there was a super monkey like there was like yeah. a whole menagerie of like <laughs> super animals oh, yeah. from Bello Krypton oh yeah the super monkey yeah 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 wow yeah there was all kinds of stuff from Krypton so Krypton certainly had been talked about at least in the comics up to that point but I don't remember if Krypton yeah. originated from the comics or like one of the radio shows or, or something to that effect right. Adventures of Superman was around in like the 50s right and I mean like pretty sure by then did they mention did you guys ever watch that when you were kids nope no i, I have a vague ref, you know recollection of what you're talking about but i haven't seen much of it i mean certainly okay. kryptonite would have been prominent right i mean at some point you know uh, well it, it certainly was, was in the comics um mm-hmm. and i mean it even was in the movie i mean and even in the movie like we know that krypton was mentioned and that was right. what like almost 10 years before this comic yeah. came out it was like eight years before this comic was published so we know right. for a fact that krypton was was established yeah. but we don't know exactly where i guess yeah i just thought it was really cool that this origin like kind of cemented the last you know 30 years of superman history and i, I just reading it and looking back that you know trying to figure out whether that this was the only one uh it seems like this is now the true canon i guess well it was for the uh, it was for a time it was from 1986 until the next um retcon of the origin story which i think was superman uh for all seasons maybe um there were several retcons even before they hit the 2011 split with new 52 um Yeah, yeah. Superman Birthright at some point was considered the new official canon origin story for Superman, uh, which is another like miniseries, uh, graphic novel sort of uh, publication of Superman. It's it's also very good, uh, but it's a lot more modern than this. It was in the two mm, thousands, I believe, like mm. the aughts. So uh, yeah, it kind of retconned it again at that point. But this certainly was the uh, the kicking off point in eighty six for. The post-crisis universe which was like you know the universe for 25 years so right yeah that's cool anyway uh so jor-el and laura talk about how you know uh their son's gonna basically get put on a rocket ship and sent to earth just like everybody's seen mm-hmm. in a general sense before yep. she's horrified when oh, he shows her yes. a picture of a shirtless man farming yeah <laughs> <laughs> it was like she i guess they just look like barbarians to her. that's right yeah, yeah kansas <laughs> it looks like he's farming with a palm tree in his hand yeah, it kind of does. Yeah. <laughs> I just voice. like how much she reacts to him. Yeah, it's Oh, he horrifying. bears naked flesh, his hairy flesh. It, bears we, it to the air. Her reaction is, oh, <laughs> like a bunch of H's. <laughs> well, yeah, because so she just had a big orgasm or something. <laughs> I, I was just going to imply it. I wasn't going to spell it out. Um, but, I'm you know, for. as soon as, as, as Jor-El has explained to her 
that he's going to send little Cal to Earth and that the, uh, the Kansas beefcake's going to find him. Uh, the eruptions immediately begin and they send him off immediately. So within three pages, we get an explanation and then a send off. So Ooh. did anyone notice the hit piece of kryptonite hitting the spaceship? Yeah, yeah, that was a cool yeah. little detail. They they definitely show uh, as the planet's erupting uh, in what looks to me like a big green glow coming out from the center of the the planet. Right. Uh, you see uh, Kal-El's spacecraft flying away, and there's a very deliberate uh, like little shot of rock shooting to and then striking the side of the craft, uh, which would imply that's going to be the origin of the kryptonite that flies to Earth with the spaceship. Um, but from there, it jumps to uh, a little bit in the future where Clark is... I think it, I think we're supposed to believe that he's a senior in high school at this point. Yes. Um, he's playing football. Which is actually uh, a co- in contradiction to some of the or some of some of the Superman stories that I've seen, and I, I'm gonna be oh gosh, I don't know if I want to admit this here, but Smallville is like a big part of my um <laughs> mm-hmm. my Superman lexicon. <laughs> yep. I was pretty uh, addicted to Smallville through when it premiered while we were in college, um, all the way until it uh, it ended. I think I had a couple little hiatuses there, but you know, one of the things in that particular um, show was that Jonathan Kent. Superman's adopted father uh, absolutely refused at least for a couple years to let Clark play football because they all knew that he had powers and that it would be unfair uh, but here we see Clark just basically uh, running away with games left and right it's implied that this has been happening all season long the coach loves him the cheerleaders love him everybody's chanting for Clark's name chanting Clark's name and uh, we see Jonathan Kent just kind of like unimpressed with the whole thing just he seems a little uh miffed that his son would go and and do this knowing that he is uh super powered in some way uh although we find out that clark doesn't actually know why he has the superpowers he just knows that he's different right yeah Um, it's really interesting because of course instead of uh, it sounds like in smallville the concern was over physical injury to the other players pa kent doesn't seem to care about that at all he cares that he's (laughs) making the other people on the team feel useless yeah i know (laughs) you're undermining their uh (laughs) Sense of agency, right? yeah, yeah. That, exactly. Yeah, no, that's. <laughs> I mean, it is a concern, right? I mean, you, yeah, <laughs> I guess. But, yeah, he could definitely kill somebody easily if he just juked a little too hard and and reacted a certain way. They don't really address that at all, do they? No, but he's just making people feel bad. That's the that's the real problem. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that in Smallville, eventually they do let him play football, just in case anybody was wondering, or um, if I'm wrong there, I guess somebody could email in and let us know that, oh yeah, I think I actually can uh, start giving the email address out if anybody wants to send us emails. We'll do that at the end of the uh, the episode. We have an uh, email address? Yeah, we have an email address. We Ooh. we have a website, and we have an email address with the website, um, as long as I can remember what it is. <laughs> We're a real boy. That's right, yeah. So maybe sometime in the future we'll have an email segment. <laughs> Okay. Yep. Yep. The Blue Fairy gave us an email address. Right, so. that's what I was thinking. Like, Pinocchio <laughs> was a wooden boy up until the time he got an email address. Right. <laughs> yes. Then he became real. <laughs> uh, so anyway, Jonathan decides that he has to show Clark um, basically how they found him. So he feels like it's time that he's 18 now that he needs to explain to him a little bit more about his history. So he takes him out to a field where they pull up a big board uh, in the ground and he shows him the spacecraft that he came to Earth in. Uh, And he kind of tells the story about how they found him and how they were trying to conceive a baby and they couldn't. And uh, basically tells a story about how when they found Clark, um, they took him home, and he, then a blizzard hit. I have, I have to say, before that, when they find Clark, he looks like he's just in a pile of spaghetti. 
Yes. <laughs> Space thinking, spaghetti. They're like, how, what's he going to eat on his way to Earth? Oh, we're just going to put a bunch of spaghetti in there with him. Let's <laughs> shout down. <laughs> I didn't interpret matrix. it as spaghetti, but it, it looks like alien, like an alien pile of hair or goo or something like that. And, yeah. and the way that he's kind of writing it is very strange. <laughs> it's very matrixy, like the movie. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it does look a lot like those little pods in the Matrix that they, they nest in. Yep. Yeah. Um, uh, did anyone else find the five-month blizzard unbelievable? Yes! Yes. I was going to ask about that. And then <laughs> Very we got convenient. caught a five-month blizzard but didn't die. <laughs> yeah, they they weren't able to make it back to Smallville for five months after the day or that night they found uh, Clark. And so everybody believed that they had had him naturally when the blizzard cleared. Uh, because that's how they explained that they'd been trying to have a baby. Uh, I guess they just explained to everybody that they had been, f- you know, four months pregnant when the blizzard blizzard hit, so nobody knew. And then, uh, you know, Clark's there with, when the blizzard clears. So we show uh, it shows us a little bit of Clark growing up. It shows the introduction to Lana Lang on the playground when it looks like they're both about <laughs> Moppet age. I'm not sure exactly what age they're supposed to be, but maybe four or five, five or six. Um, we see Clark get trampled by a bull. Uh, we see his clothes are torn in this yes, image. Yes, yes. Noted for later. Yes. <laughs> but it, it raises some real questions about this bull. The bull looks as confused as Clark is. It does. It looks and like it's running from something. Oh yeah, The bull doesn't try to gore him. It just runs over him mm-hmm. and looks really confused. So I'm not sure if this was intentional or just accidental. I think that bull looks scared myself. I think that... <laughs> Something is after that bull. Maybe they were both running away from this same thing, and the bull ran faster. Well, in the in the panel prior to him getting trampled by the bull, he looks pretty happy, like he's just running to his father or something like that across the field. Um, Clark, not the bull. Right. Well, but I don't know. The bull's too far away. The bull might be happy too, and then everybody gets scared. Um. And then it, for, it flashes forward a little bit further. We see Clark as a teenager. Uh, first, we see him lifting as a child. It looks like still he's lifting up the back of a truck, showing that he's getting stronger. Then we see him as a gosh, he looks like a young man here. Uh, obviously, he can't be any older than eighteen yet. But we see the dog sort of knock him over the side of a a, a small cliff side. Yep, the <laughs> and dog he taught just, him to fly. Yep, and then he just starts flying. So the yep, did they give the dog a name? Rusty, Rusty. old Rusty. Old Rusty taught Clark to fly. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Just like Dumbo, right? Didn't a mouse teach an elephant to fly? Well, he had to... Didn't he have to... Um, confusing Dumbo with Peter Pan, I think. I was going to say, didn't he have to like believe or something? He needed the feather. That's what it was. He yeah, had to believe right. himself. He had the feather. feather was... Yeah. But the feather was just like his confidence. Like It was just a, a symbol of his confidence. Because if he didn't have the feather, he couldn't fly until the end of the film... <laughs> At which point he needed to fly, and he finally found his self confidence to fly without the feather. Right? Isn't that how Dumbo goes? <laughs> yeah. I think that's right. All I remember is just the horrible sadness of them being all like jailed in the circus. Oh god, train. that was the most depressing it was thing. Awful. <laughs> I think that made me cry as a child. It was real traumatic. Yeah, yeah. I just heard that they're making like a that that Johnny Depp is doing a Dumbo movie. Or is it Johnny Depp? No. <laughs> I uh, hope so. Maybe it is Johnny. De- no, I think they, they mentioned on another podcast I listened to that uh, Tim Burton is directing a uh, Dumbo movie. I believe oh, it's really? a live action Dumbo movie. With Johnny Depp, probably, right? Probably, right? I mean, <laughs> you just Dumbo. assume. Yeah, right. Maybe. <laughs> they were like, Johnny Depp can play Native American. He can play anyone. Oh, my God. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> is Johnny Depp really playing anything? <laughs> yes. Johnny Depp in as whatever. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, so we see um, 
we see Clark and his father return back to the house and let Ma know that uh, Clark now knows that he crashed to Earth in a ship of some sort. And I don't know, or they, I don't believe that they're very explicit yet that um, they know he's an alien. They kind of talk about how he could be an alien or he could be some sort of like science experiment, essentially, that the Russians or the Americans shot up into space. Right, yeah, I think they said um, they thought he came from Russia for a while. Yeah, I think Ma Kent mentioned that. that yeah. Um, also, uh, I, I guess I should mention that as they're driving away from the spaceship, we see a shadowy figure in like a trench coat and a hat kind of staring towards the car, um, which I'm not even sure if that gets explained at all later on in the comic. Um, do you guys recall that ever coming up again, whoever that was in, at the side of the panel? No, I don't think so. Yeah, I think that that, that looks like some sort of trail they they seeded and then never really like cashed in on, at least in this comic. So yeah. maybe that maybe that comes later in like Adventures of Superman or something. But um, So anyway, uh, we see that that's kind of where they wrap up that part. Then they go to an epilogue where... Um, actually, this isn't even an epilogue yet. Mm, this is the this next is, chapter. Yeah, the next... Well, so this is confusing because... They have book one, book two, book three, book four, book five, book six. But then they had chapters also. Right. And I believe that the chapters only existed in the first book. Correct. Okay. So chapter two of book one, the exposure. Uh, So we've basically got Ma Kent scrapbooking, and she's scrapbooking a bunch of um, newspaper clippings of things that Clark has done, right? Like raising the Titanic and saving a children from falling off a mountain, things like that. Just basically all of his exploits. Well, right, um, but the the trick is that sort of at the end of the last book, he decided that in order to not make people feel useless or scared, he was going to do everything in secret, not mm-hmm. as Superman, so that people thought it was like nature or good luck that saved them from burning <laughs> buildings, which I thought was hilarious. Mm-hmm. So this is this is what these all are. Is sort of like not Superman doing amazing things, but people being miraculously saved. Even in some of these clippings, though, it's it's obvious that like it says, uh, "Report flying angel caught him as he fell." You know? Sure, yeah. There's so that. I mean, like you would assume that people are starting to like if you flip to the next uh, page, mm-hmm. that's where it says, uh, "Mystery Superman saves space plane," which is I guess. Lois wrote this and named him Superman, I'm assuming. Uh, the panel above there, though, I, I was really concerned because it looks like Martha's saying she's going to fix Jonathan a nice big breakfast, and she has an entire basket of eggs. A hundred eggs. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what the only like. omelet he will ever eat is a hundred <laughs> egg omelet. Um, but I, I, I... Chickens lay a lot of eggs just to lay a little knowledge down. That's true, yeah. Um, I, I just... You when I looked at out. that, the way I interpreted it initially was that all of those eggs were going to be his breakfast the way that the words were juxtaposed with the image. So yeah. that's probably not what they imply. That's probably just where they store their eggs. And she's taking one out for him. Yes. But I like to think that Jonathan's going to eat 100 eggs. <laughs> yeah, like Rocky. He's a farmer, man. Yeah. Sort of, he need- takes a lot of energy. It's, a, it's hard work. Yeah, Kansas beef. <laughs> the beef Kansas beefcake. Yeah. yeah, right. Um, Wait, was, was he the same beefcake, or is it just another dude from Kansas? I think that the Kansas beefcake from Jor-El's vision was... <laughs> I think that that's just a random guy. Okay. I don't think that it's implied that that's Jonathan. <laughs> I think that was yeah, an awesome. example. Yeah, because Jonathan that was, was kind of dumpy like when you get to him. And yeah, I, I know. Like, he doesn't look... He doesn't look like the. We didn't see him with his shirt off, so maybe he's hiding something under there. But uh, I think maybe I that's think how Clark learns to hide his physique. Jorel knows do. what his li- wife likes, so I think he structured it. 
<laughs> yeah. appeal to her. He's like, man, I'm going to sell Earth. All in yeah. the back of this Kansas beefcake I cooked up. Yeah, <laughs> Kryptonian porn. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Which is anything, basically, because they haven't, they haven't <laughs> touched they each other in 100,000 years. <laughs> Just the very, like, notion of, like, sexuality is enough to titillate. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, anyway, we see that uh, Superman saved a space plane. It's in the paper. Uh, Jonathan looks concerned. We hear creak creak coming from up in Clark's room. They sneak up there with what looks like the leg of a chair, or like the longest wood. This is probably the wooden spoon that she was using to stir up all of the eggs she broke for his omelet. <laughs> doesn't look anything like a spoon. It's some strange wooden object he's using uh, apparently as a as a cudgel, a bludgeoning instrument in case there's a intruder in Clark's room. And of course, it's just Clark sitting there looking very Batman dark like. Um, sitting in shadow, uh, and he's upset because everybody wanted a piece of him after he saved this space plane. He goes in and tells a story about how this uh, new um, experimental space plane was on its, you know, I guess it's supposed to be the native Voyager or, or whatnot, and uh, a civilian plane uh, slips through and runs into it somehow. <laughs> um, you know? <laughs> yeah, and uh, so the space plane begins plummeting towards Earth, and so Clark is in the crowd watching, and he flies away in his civilian clothes to go and save it. And we see that Lois is aboard the space plane along with some astronauts, or NASA astronauts, I guess. I don't know. Um, the dude the dude who's flying this thing is amazing. They're, like, <laughs> upside down, crashing this plane, and yet he still takes time out to, like, insult Lois Lane. Making jokes. Yeah, yeah he's like, yeah, you're gonna get a big story as we mm-hmm. crash into the middle of Metropolis. I was trying to figure out why they were upside down in that one panel. I guess if you go back a page, you can see that the plane has a bit of a spin to it in one panel. Because in every other panel, it just looks right side up. So for a while, I was really confused as to why they showed them upside down at all. (laughs) (laughs) I thought they were just being weird. Um, Anyway, I want to know what you guys thought about this space plane. Did anything just stand out to you as as striking or strange or anything? The whole thing. The whole thing. (laughs) Uh, Everything about this space plane. Like why was it so huge and right. why was why was there like four people on it? It's like the size of like eight aircraft carriers like taped together and side to side, right? Right. Like, this thing makes shield helicarriers look tiny. Yeah, yeah, they somehow got it into space. Yeah. Was it even in space? I what is the what is the job of a space plane but to go to space? <laughs> I know, but <laughs> you do not see it in space. I don't know. <laughs> That's a. It's like it's like juxtaposed against like a blue sky, a sky blue background in every single one of these panels, and in the moment that it gets hit, it's definitely in normal airspace because those are normal airplanes that are flying around it and into it. I yeah. think I think that other plane was jealous of it. Yeah, <laughs> obviously, but I mean it's so weird because it's a space plane and like the pilot's got his like. Uh, his jacket like ripped open like in the 70s it's very much like indiana jones in the temple of doom sort of outfit yeah so i was like if this is supposed to be airproof i mean like where's your where's the rest of your shirt (laughs) i don't know sexy astronaut yeah he's like sean connery without chest hair Mm -hmm. yeah sexy comedian astronaut sean connery this thing also has tiny tiny little wings how did it get from the earth to space assuming it got to space at all on these tiny little wings I, I, yeah. I mean, I would assume that, like, that makes more sense to me as a rocket. It makes less sense to me flying through the air when you actually need wings. Right. Right. I don't know. 
Yeah. So anyway, weird. Th- they they get a little peek at uh, a man flying their craft from below, uh, which apparently the underside of this spacecraft is made from the yellow brick road from Oz. <laughs> yes. Um, yes, confirmed. <laughs> uh, Superman lands the plane, and then Lois jumps out and says, hold it right there, buster, and uh, tries to hold him up, and he realizes that he finds her attractive. <laughs> Right, which means he can't get away. <laughs> That's like the one thing he can't get away from is his attraction to Lois Lane. I liked that he actually narrated that she's not as beautiful as a movie star, yeah, right. but that she has a quality. <laughs> what does that mean? I, I think I she is a particularly forceful woman, especially That's, for the mid-80s. Probably. Oh, that is that is definitely true. You know, I, I don't think that it's that abnormal that she's portrayed as, as um, forceful as mm-hmm. she is. Uh, I mean, we, we've seen other ladies like that in that era in terms of fiction. I, I mean, the, the first thing that came to mind was Raiders of the Lost Ark with Marion. Yeah. Um, you know, as far as, like, like what a uh, forceful woman she is. I mean, she's drinking guys under the table that are, like, three times her size and, you know, kicking butt, you know, alongside Indy and, and everything like that. So, I don't know. Like, Lois kind of reminded me of her um, in that respect. But maybe that's just because Indiana Jones things are salient for me. Um, so anyway, uh, everybody tries to get their hands on Clark. He's horrified and apparently gets away and flies to Kansas. Um, so they're talking, he and Mon Pa are talking about what they need to do to try to deal with this new problem with everybody trying to get their hands on him whenever he gets involved and saves the day. And they decide that the best thing is a costume. So we see them come up with Superman's iconic costume which i think is this perfect comparison like you said it looked like batman coming back and like him talking about the very real issue of like you know everyone wanting a piece of him everyone wanting things from him once they find out who he is like that's a real that was a real salient issue that i thought would be really interesting to delve into but the difference is unlike batman superman has parents and they take care of everything by making him a colorful costume like he's six years old (laughs) and they have the same mother's name oh god no let's <laughs> not even talk about that <laughs> superman in, in this comic book as far as i can tell superman's mother's name is ma <laughs> that's true anyway ma and pa kent <laughs> there's no martha here so anyway superman or clark kent uh comes up with the s shield that goes on the front of his costume and the back of his cape apparently without any inspiration whatsoever they don't you know like i think in like you know the, the newer movies and I think even in other uh, fiction, they've kind of tried to explain it as like a uh, the symbol Family of crest. House L yeah. uh, from from Krypton. Uh, but here he just says, "Yes, it took a while, but Pa and I finally came up with this. We made one for the front and for the back. So, <laughs> right. just no out of nowhere, they came up with the Superman shield." Um, uh, did you guys read the uh, letters at the beginning? I did, uh, but it's been, yes. a, it's been a little while. One while. of them from the writer and the one of them from Ray Bradbury. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, the one from the uh, writer really got, uh, because he made mention of what he, uh, because he originally re- read the comic books in black and white, mm-hmm. and he never, and he mentioned that he never saw the S because it was yeah. black and white. Right. And he thought it was just two fishes flying yeah. together. <laughs> yeah. And so, just looking at that S now, after having read that originally, and I was like, "Oh my God, it's I see what he's talking right, about." Right, because if you just look at the negative space and and ignore the positive space, you know, then then it does just look like a Pisces yeah. symbol or something. Yeah, right, yeah, exactly. Like Pisces man. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, 
Well, the reason why I thought that was funny was because back when I used to, you know, doodle a lot, like in high school or middle school or whatnot, uh, I would draw the Superman shield by drawing the negative space first because it made it easier to shape the S because the S is so stylized. So, like, when I was reading that, I was like, yeah, 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 that made perfect sense to me, although I always knew that it was an S because, come on, you know, it's Superman. And, you know, like we said earlier, our exposure to Superman probably started with um, the 1970s movie. Mm -hmm. So... We, we were full Technicolor by then, right? Yep. That's right. Uh, yep. <laughs> um, so anyway, then they go on and they, they show uh, Ma Kent how they're going to hide Clark's new secret identity, Clark's new secret identity of Clark Kent, uh, by slicking his hair back using an old pair of Paz glasses and uh, stooping, I guess, right? Yes, hunching yeah. over, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, hunching over. Uh, then he tries on his new costume. Uh, Ma's very impressed that it shows off his muscles. And she mentions the little tidbit about how she started noticing that uh, when you were only 12 years old, cloth that was right up close against you never seemed to tear or get dirty. Which, mm-hmm. I guess maybe he was younger than 12 when his mm, yeah. clothes were all ripped up. So maybe that power hadn't manifested yet. Yeah, he's like a mutant, whereas his puberty power is that... His cleanliness shield. Well, I think in most, um, I think in most Superman fiction, his powers evolve over time. Like he doesn't start out completely invincible, and he doesn't start out super strong. He'd usually, you know, like especially uh, again, back to Smallville. But Smallville made you know like episodic content out of that, right? Especially the first couple seasons with him discovering his new abilities as they would manifest. So you know, you had your whole like Heat Vision episode where you know like he started having Heat Vision issues whenever he'd see someone he was really attracted to. So you know, like some hot teacher walked into the room and like all of a sudden like he's burning up the side of the building or something like that. So, but 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 even in other fiction that I've read with Superman, I know that his powers weren't all completely there just as a baby so if i think what they're trying to set up here um because i remember i vaguely remember some of this from when we were reading superman comics in the 90s but um i i think what they're trying to set up here is that his invulnerability is explained at some point by having basically like a personal force field and i think that what they're trying to do is they're trying to seed that idea here by saying like his clothes don't get damaged when they're really tight against his body and i think that later on they're going to explain that away as saying because he has this personal force field that if anything's like you know right up against his skin then it's protected by that force field um i might be wrong there but i seem to vaguely recall something about that from the 90s do you guys remember anything about that no i don't no i'm sorry, sorry. i didn't really read comic books of superman in the 90s other than that secret one we read <laughs> Was that 2000 or 90s? It was in the 2000s. Oh, okay. I swear you had some of those issues where he split into blue Superman, red Superman. Nope. Are you positive? Pretty sure. I want a time machine so bad right now. <laughs> I swear you <laughs> I had mean, those I issues. have my comic book box and I saw no... Like, it was basically all Marvel. Except hmm. for the, you know, Spawn Batman. <laughs> and Spawn. I swear I remember you telling me like the details from that story when we were in high school. It was possible I read it in the bookstore. Cause, that you know, is I possible, just, yeah. I used to just sit in the bookstore because right. I was a mall rat. Yeah. Who who wasn't back then? Well, yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, he seems pleased with his costume, and he flies away in the last panel in a very iconic Superman flying pose and says, It'll be a job for Superman! With Superman in its uh, you know full-on colored stylized typeface uh we move on to book two the story of the century uh this is the book where we see superman actually flying around metropolis for the first time we see lois basically trying to hunt him down 
Uh, we see him kind of like stop some crimes where he kind of flies down and stops a mugger who just like stole a necklace from and a purse from some lady. But he, he overhears on the radio that there's a, what is it, like a robbery? Yeah. And he flies I, I, over to the robbery. And I did think there him. was one interesting element of this, that after he takes care of the mugger and stuffs him in the trash can, he turns down the stereo of the victim. Yeah. It's which, a very Christopher Reeve sort of moment, right? Like, Yeah. Well, it's just, I don't know, this sort of extreme paternalism of it. Like, he yeah. knows best for everybody. And it's yeah. sort of this, um, I'm going to enforce all the rules, no matter whether or not they really matter or not. Mm. <laughs> I, I feel like that as a issue it, i don't feel like they necessarily explicitly highlight that within this story but i feel like looking back on it now from like sort of like our current day concerns about privacy and you know like security versus privacy and everything i i see so many issues with that several times throughout this issue uh, but yeah like that is a very paternalistic moment there where he's like let's turn this down that can be disruptive you know it's a trifle loud um, so he flies over, there's the robbers are holding hostages, and Superman basically tells the cops that, you know, he's going to make their life much easier by getting involved. Although Captain we, Reagan, who's the, the leader of the SWAT team, thinks that on by by power of his reputation alone, the thieves should throw down their guns and yeah. comes out, or the hostage takers, right, which I thought yeah. was pretty, pretty amazing. He must be a hell of a guy yeah. in Metropolis. Cop. Yeah, he's, he's the uh, Metropolis uh, Jim Gordon. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe he's the Harvey Bullock. Anyway, Superman uh, approaches the guy with a little, looks like a pistol Uzi of some sort, and just like very delicately crunches the end of the pistol with his forefinger and his and his thumb. Um, the robbers uh, open fire on him, and we just see the bullets bounce off and everything. He then melts the guns with his heat vision. I thought it was interesting that they never really showed like lines for the heat vision in this entire comic. Every time Superman uses his heat vision, they maybe like show his pupils become a little red or something but you never see like the little laser beams that you see like in other superman comics or other superman fiction where we see a very deliberate illustration of the of the heat vision we just see the effects of it so the super, the guns get super hot and they all drop it while simultaneously yelling hot <laughs> um. <clears throat> yeah i don't think his heat vision had that kind of spread later like it used it's very like a laser focused beam in this one it seems like like a microwave kind of thing. Yeah, it's invisible, right? I mean, it's um, that's how it's, it's. They they certainly don't draw the little lines that you see later on. So, yeah, um, <clears throat> that'd suck if it was just microwaves, right? I mean, like one of the things about microwaves is like, I read that the reason why they, all microwaves have that like black lattice on the front of the. Uh, yeah, so you don't get microwaved through the screen. Right. Yeah, like <laughs> that's those it. little holes. Those are um those are yep. small enough that the waves can't go through them. Yep. So it wouldn't take much to protect yourself from microwave vision. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but who has, like, mesh? Who carries mesh of that size? Well, if you knew that your your villain or your, your – your, if you're a villain and you knew that Superman had microwave vision, then all you would need to do is create a suit made from that, right? True. Yeah. Yep. Like, armor your car with that stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we then see Superman beat up the, the robbers with some softest taps. Uh <laughs> And then one of the lady robbers says that you wouldn't hit a lady. And he says, a lady? No, I never hit a lady. And then he flicks her in the face and knocks her out. <laughs> I don't know what he's implying by that. I, can, I kept reading the panel trying to figure out, like, is he implying that she's not a lady? I was, I was thinking that he was implying that, not that she's not female, but that she's not a lady. 
I see. Yeah. That oh, she's, oh, like the, the classic ideal of a lady. Yeah, you're robbing a bank here, lady, or whatever this is, jewelry yeah. store or something. I don't know. Uh, you're, you're not acting like a lady. You're acting like a hoodlum, and so I'm going to flick you in the face and knock you out this concussion so then we see lois in a helicopter trying to chase superman down she doesn't get there in time and then we see a little montage of lois failing to find superman every time he intervenes that she tries to follow him down and uh, she is she in gets... the best outfits ever yeah the last oh, one I was say, San did... Diego. yeah does anyone yeah. else notice her fashion sense i didn't i figured maybe not but <laughs> it's amazing time. it's amazing yeah she has like um, and then i was flipping back through the stuff and i was like wow she Really steps up her fashion game. <laughs> well, like especially always. when she goes to Luther's party later on, right? Yeah. Uh, that just seemed, yeah, normal 80s party. But, like, the other stuff seemed, like, pretty cool fashion stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I agree with Todd. That I think it I think it peaked in that last panel where she's dressed as Carmen Sandiego. <laughs> That's for uh, sure. I thought it was really cool when she got out of the wet car. <laughs> really it was an interesting outfit. Yeah. Uh, we see uh, Lois get the idea that she's going to... She's got an idea for getting Superman to approach her, essentially. So we see Superman flying through the air, and all of a sudden he hears Lois yelling, Help! Help! Because she's so helpless in this comic. Um, and then we see that he uses his... Uh, what is that? His x-ray vision? That's got to be long, telescopic long vision, right? X-ray, yeah. yeah Long-distance x-ray vision. There's not really an x-ray part to it, though, other than, like, the weird x-ray outline that we see around it. Yeah. Well, so, if he had to look through a building. Uh, <laughs> there you go. All right. So he's using his x-ray telescopic vision to look through some buildings that are implied to be behind the panel or behind the bubble that we see Lois in. Right? Is that what we're saying? Yes. All 100%. right. Yeah. <laughs> and he sees Lois basically in a car that is... Uh, apparently falling off a bridge or something into the river or the lake or whatever that is and starting to sink below the water. So Superman dives through the water. Apparently by that time, the car has gone all the way to the bottom of the, the riverbed or the seabed or whatnot. Um, and he lifts the car out of the water, flies her to safety. She's wearing an awesome outfit. It looks like a, what is that? They call that a slanket? <laughs> Uh, I don't know. It's just like a billy poncho top. Is it a poncho with a skirt? (laughs) It's got like Eskimo detailing or whatever on it. It's got like a hoodie. Yeah, some really baggy socks or something too. I don't. I don't know. I'm loving it. (laughs) I I don't know. It strikes me as like the artist just like was getting. They didn't want to really draw like intricate detail at this point, so I'm just gonna draw a bag on this lady and then. Add in a little, little light detail later to make it look like clothing. I don't know. I thought there was like some impeccable detail on her shoes when she got out. I guess that's true. Like it's like almost Native American. Like I think I'm, I'm. I had to guess that they were probably just pulling from like fashion magazines at the time. That's probably true. Actually, yeah, this does look very eighties, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, so anyway, this is another one of our little uh, red flag moments where Superman might be a little bit creepy. Uh, yes, because. <laughs> Here, let me fly you home. Oh, oh, you know where I live? Of course, Miss Lane. I know where everyone lives. <laughs> Superman the creep. Superman knows where everyone lives. What does oh, that mean? The, it's super guys? big brother. It's unbelievably big brother. Yeah. Uh, so he drops her off at her apartment. Uh, she insists that he stay for a little while after yelling, come back here in all caps with three exclamation points. Uh, and we see Superman lounging in her living room, and she brings out some wine and cheese that he refuses to eat and drink. 
Uh, they do a little chat, and then he just up and goes, saying that there's nothing more he can tell her. Um, and then he basically lets her know that he knew the whole time that she had set up that whole thing and that she wasn't in any actual danger, that he saw the aqua lung she had in her car. But he seems a little concerned as he's flying away that that may not have been enough to actually save her life had he not gotten there in time. Uh, and mentions that he needs to test the limits of his super senses, which apparently he's already doing by knowing where every single person in Metropolis lives. <laughs> right. I think it's just because he flies by all of their windows. <laughs> Very in. fast. Crime, no. Crime, no. Crime, no. <laughs> Wait, if you had x-ray vision, would you see people you found attractive naked? <sighs> I mean, no. wouldn't you do it just by accident? I mean, point? probably sometime by accident, yeah, but I don't right? think that... Yeah, but, okay. Man, if you had x-ray vision and you weren't some sort of, like, pervert or, like, crazy person who feels like it's, like, your duty to make sure that you're monitoring everybody at all times to make sure that you can stop any sort of crime or, or bad thing from happening, then I just think what a burden that would be to make sure that you never use it except in, like, the most, like, critical situations. Right. Like, the duty of having not to use it, right? Yeah, although I don't really get the impression in this Superman comic that he's burdened by any of these things to the ima- to the extent that I would expect somebody to be burdened with these things. Right. Well, it's cuz he's like home hometown hero, country boy, Clark Kent, right? And so that you just expect him to be good in that way. You do. And also I think that he's just portrayed. This is very uh it's supposed to be a modern modernization of the character but there's still so much silver age about this comic right and and i think that that sort of like black and white good slash evil nature of the heroes and what they're doing it's still just taken for granted that everything superman's doing is just good right even though you know like like i think if you just went 10 to 15 years later people would take a look at these things and like Superman knows where everybody lives. Like somebody would question that at that point. Right. And then maybe like Superman would have to be shown as burdened by like, you know, the abilities and maybe like even just the knowledge of all that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. But we don't see that here. We don't see that here at all. Right. We see him change into a awesome driver's outfit to, to be Clark Kent and uh, apparently scoop Lois on the whole Superman story. Uh, which then gets him the job where he's already sitting down at a desk typing when Perry introduces Lois to him, even though it looks like it says here literally two hours later. So uh, it only took him two hours to leave the apartment, turn in that story, have it run. Um, it's actually printed there, the exclusive story on Superman, and then have a job and an office where he's sitting down typing. He's very fast. I should also yeah. note that this story sets up <laughs> Superman as a high school dropout. So this is pretty phenomenal for him. Wait, Wait he where is? Did say that? Well, he left the very next day. He was playing football. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, he left That's without implied, graduating. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Huh. Maybe. Yeah, he went to college for journalism. Maybe he has his GED. <laughs> or super he, GED. Yeah, maybe he did it really quickly because of his super speed. Maybe he had all the credits he needed to have already graduated, and that was his last semester. Even though uh, normally high school football is played in the first semester. <laughs> yes, Maybe he did all of his credits in the first three years, and he was just doing study halls and playing football. Yeah, it was yeah. just football all the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. if, you're the, if you're the hometown, small town football hero in high school, that's all the credit you need. That's right. <laughs> all right, guys, we're moving on to book three here. Book three, the book where uh, it's called One Night in Gotham City. This is where we see the 
new post-crisis Superman meet the post-crisis Batman for the first time, and they have a little adventure. Mm. I, I'm going to open up the floor here. What do you guys want to say about this issue with Batman? Uh, <laughs> well, it was definitely better than the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Batman versus Superman, that's what you're talking about here. Yes. Yeah, it was better than that movie. Yeah, it was Batman being smart, although, I mean... I guess I guess I think I think that you mentioned the Silver Age thing. I think there's still a lot of Silver Ageness in this. Mhm. Uh Magpie, I had to look up what a magpie was. Mhm. <laughs> what did you find? Uh so a magpie originally came as a bird. Yes. Yeah. And it likes it shiny likes co- things, right? Right. It collect yeah, it's a collector of objects and generally shiny objects. And so it became nomenclature a common nomenclature i guess or whatever to call somebody who's basically a hoarder i didn't know that about the the nicknames but yes so a magpie is a hoarder okay well she also leaves things in place of the things she takes (laughs) that's right yeah well she has so much stuff (laughs) well the issue opens with batman beating up a guy that has terrible cauliflower ear named bull uh and trying to extract information out of him by threatening him and beating him up but bull throws some lettuce in his face (laughs) And gets away. It's ugly. It's really bad, like, alleyway lettuce. It's though. alley lettuce all the way. Yeah, no. It's, it's horrible alleyway lettuce. It's, it's like halfway to Swamp Thing lettuce. That's right. Um, but we see uh, Batman trying to pursue him by going to the air with his grappling hook and his line. And apparently Superman grabs it and takes him for a ride. Superman threatens to take him to police headquarters. Batman says he'd prefer to visit that on his own terms and drops off the line. Uh, Superman seems concerned, and then we see that uh, Batman has snuck up and around Superman and is up on top of a rooftop. Um, and, and, I mean, I think, I I don't know, I it seems silly and it is very super agey, but I thought it did a good job of setting up Superman and Batman and their sort of, you know, how they are relative to one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that they're very different approaches and... You know their their various strengths, and I, you know, I, I found it somewhat believable by the end that they would have sort of mutual respect for each other's right. methods. Yeah, to some degree. yeah. Brian mentioned that it's very silver agey, and I agree with that. But I appreciate the interaction between these two characters and the way that they set up the two characters in this issue so much more. Uh, having seen Batman versus Superman recently, it starts out with with Superman is viewing batman as a vigilante who needs to be taken in he's seeing him as a criminal so that's consistent it is uh and then batman stops him from approaching him by insisting that he use his his supervision to take a look at him and see that he has a force field around him that's going that is specifically key to detect superman's dense biological material and that if he sets off that force field, if he interferes with it, then it will set off a bomb that will kill one innocent life in Gotham City. And at that moment, I was like, oh, my God, really? Like, this is crazy. Like, I just kind of took it for granted. Like, I just come off Batman versus Superman. Batman is a total jerk in that movie and kills a bunch of people, like, you know, intentionally. And uh, it's not exactly the Batman that I think of as Batman. And so in this moment, I was like, oh, wow, this Batman's super hardcore, too, and not what I think of as Batman. Um, and just using it as a uh, a way to manipulate Superman. And even Batman says, it's a touch Machiavellian, I admit, but my ends justify my means. Now hear me out. And so then he leads Superman on a big adventure where they track down this magpie who's been essentially killing people throughout the city by leaving bombs and other booby traps in place of the things she's stealing that then 
kill or maim the people that she's stealing from. And we see her murder bull by sticking... <laughs> Do you want to talk about this, Todd? This is oh, like a Todd moment. Oh, God. This is amazing. Yeah. She does the happy birthday on him, which is where she paralyzes him with some sort of venom and then puts lit dynamite in his mouth. <laughs> And the other henchman has clearly seen this trick before because he says, oh, no, not happy birthday, not happy birthday. I know. This was was one of my favorite moments. (laughs) Absolutely. Magpie is awesome. She's a fantastic supervillain. She's got the hair. Oh, my God. When, (laughs) When, oh, my God, at the end. Yes. Oh, my God. When they pull off the wig. Yep. And she has a full head of hair. Yeah, I was so confused. Ah! I was like, how does a wig do that? And I was so, like, there's no wig. To people that aren't looking at this comic, before a wig is pulled off of Magpie, she has this crazy hair where it's like, she's got like... Three mohawks. Like, yes! She's got she's got a mohawk on the top of her head, and then bare, bare skin, and then like two other like mohawks coming off each side of her head essentially um like if you've seen any of like the the earlier illustrations of wolverine with like right. his hair wings coming off the sides of his head it looks like that but then like shaved in between that and like the top mohawk up at the top that like like a total like yeah huge like you know elmer's glue mohawk like the, the punks yeah. had in like the 1980s right well it just looks like one of those lizard people or what was that dragon uh dragon superhero guy Oh, Savage Dragon. Yeah. Yeah, kind of his like fin Savage on the top. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the stuff. end of the comic, was it Batman that pulls the wig off? Uh, yeah, <laughs> it was Superman. Uh, <laughs> Superman pulls the wig off. And and we see that she has just a full head of blonde hair underneath. So somehow the wig was those three fins and the bald cap. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the craziest thing. No, 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 her name is the craziest thing. That the whole thing is crazy. The whole thing is nuts. <laughs> so anyway, the uh, the happy birthday is loud enough that Superman notices it. He leads Batman uh, to the area where they're at. Superman bursts through a wall. Uh, Batman just apparently sneaks in because we don't see how he enters. Uh, they stop two of the henchmen, uh, and then Magpie drops an acid bomb, uh, pellet or something. It says TTFN. Super saps. <laughs> Did and, you know what that is? I googled it. Oh, yeah, really? ta-ta for now. Oh, yeah. yeah, I had I had no idea. Winnie the Pooh, man, he says that all the time. <laughs> oh, I don't think I ever watched Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> is that how you know it, Todd? <laughs> I just like the direct line from Winnie the Pooh to Magpie. <laughs> like I, I'm putting it all together now. Like she was inspired. There's probably some happy birthday like Winnie the Pooh episode. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Like, Winnie the Pooh is her total inspiration. Yeah, I t- like, Piglet? No, Pooh, no! Not the happy birthday! Not the happy birthday! Oh, anyway. <laughs> Superman sucks up the gas, and he flies into space and uh, ejects it into space. And goes through the whole process of explaining that there's a chemical change, so now it's inert. Yeah, this is totally like Iron Man. The yeah. Iron Man that we read where he was explaining everything in Thought Bubbles. Well, yeah. It, there's this isn't the only scene like that. I mean, there's a lot of that through this whole book where we see lots of like thought bubble narration. I think it gets worse towards the end of the book, but yeah, I I, I started thinking the exact same thing. I kept thinking back about our conversation about the the constant narration and just kind of how that bogs things down for me in a lot of ways. Yeah, um, not my favorite thing about this book, but that didn't ruin it for me really. Well, now you don't have to worry that there's poison floating around in space. <laughs> right, it's where it'll encounter no one ever. Right, exactly. 
Yeah, if you just happen to be flying around in space without any sort of like you know spacesuit on or you know vessel around you, and you also are uh, susceptible to acid. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Anyway, so that's not a problem. He flies back down, sees Batman getting into a very normal-looking car. What if What if on the next flight of this space plane, they took it up and got acid all over them? <laughs> but it won't. He said that it's perfectly safe right. now. Well, now we so, know we're safe. That's yeah, good. Yeah. Okay, so we're all right. But uh, Batman uh, pops the trunk, and we see that he's got a big old computer in there. Uh, they start analyzing some fibers he found. They figure out that it's, what did they say, 5,000 years old? Yeah. Uh, which implies that the only place it could have come from is the Gotham Museum, which is where they find her in her wig. They kind of give a little backstory about Magpie. And I, I thought that this was kind of a cool moment where they see that she's crazy, right? They see mm-hmm. that she's having a mental breakdown and that she's basically delusional. And Superman has sympathy for her. He says, I can't help but feel sorry for her. And Batman says, you think I don't? And he kind of explains that, you know, um, he kind of explains the whole thing about that she's not like a real criminal, kind of explains like what's going to happen that, you know, like if things are, if things turn out well for this, she's going to end up in a insane asylum rather than, uh, you know, jail. Um, he kind of explains her whole history. But then he says that, yes, I feel sorry for her Superman, but I feel more sorry for her victims. So Batman is still more concerned for victims rather than the perpetrator of the crime even when the perpetrator of the crime is a crazy person which is important if you're batman since pretty much your entire rogues gallery is crazy people mm-hmm. did anyone exactly. else figure ask why superman was in gotham no didn't he specifically no? come there to capture batman that was that was what i assumed oh i had no idea i was trying to figure that out <laughs> I, I think that it was like you know uh this is my assumption here and this is just my assumption based on the context of the story is that this is sort of like this is in 1986 what 2011's New 52 was where the heroes are all just starting to appear the heroes are just starting to become familiar with each other or aware of each other and Batman was still seen as a criminal a vigilante at the time and so Superman decided to go and take care of this issue I'm going to assume in between other periods of high crime in Metropolis anyway um so after that happens, Batman, you know, starts to walk away. Superman says, not so fast, Batman. We still have the matter of an innocent life you've placed in jeopardy. And then we see Batman smile. And he says, oh, yes, my bomb. And then he says, here you go, Superman. I had it tucked inside my utility belt all the time. You, you mean it was your own life you were risking? Why? And Batman explains that he assumed that if he had lied, Superman would have been able to tell because of his superpowers. And so he legitimately put a bomb on himself that would have blown up had Superman interacted with the force field. And this was this is just one of those moments where I'm like, holy shit, yeah, this is Batman. Yeah, no, it absolutely mm-hmm. is. But it also he thinks of himself as an innocent life, apparently. I know. <laughs> I was yes, I, I was reflecting on that this morning that like he truly believes that he is innocent. Which is in contradiction to other versions of Batman we've seen where he considers himself like, you know, uh, either like a very flawed individual to the point where like he wouldn't consider himself innocent or even to the point where he considers himself an outlaw or a criminal of some sort. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I really like the smart Batman represented here as opposed to the movie. <laughs> yeah, I no this 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 made my day when I read this. I loved this portrayal of Batman. I love seeing him outsmart Superman in this way. Um, I love seeing like sort of the, the dangerous risks he's willing to take for himself in order to achieve right. his goals. Um, but but yeah. so well calculated, you know? Right. 
Um, and then we see the thought bubble where he says, a remarkable man, all, this is Batman here, a remarkable man, all things considered, who knows, in a different reality, I might have called him friend, which I think is supposed to be a direct callback to the universes that existed prior to the, uh, the, the post-crisis universe. Um, because, you know, up to that point, we'd already seen like a lot of like Batman, Superman team ups. I believe that world's finest had already been a thing at that point where Batman and Superman teamed up routinely in that comic. So uh, you know, that refers to the whole, like, Justice League of America, Super Friends sort of era of superheroes where uh, they were very, very much like, you know, um, Batman, I don't think it was even quite as dark as he is at this point, right? Um, it was very – that's where our Saturday morning cartoon notion of Batman and Superman fighting crime together comes from. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Anyway, <clears throat> on to book four. Uh, it opens with Lois wearing a – pretty impressive dress uh, at Clark's door. Uh, Clark is getting ready for uh, some sort of party uh, and we see her walking through his apartment, him kind of explaining a bunch of stuff like, you know, that he played football in high school and that he's got weights to try to keep in shape. Um, We see how he shaves by using a piece of the rocket ship that's metallic to use his heat vision to burn off the whiskers. And then we say, we see Lois, uh, using his weights and saying that she's surprised he can keep up such a terrific physique with such light weights. Uh, and we see some humble bragging from Clark here where he says that with his super strength, it's hard for him to be sure. Uh, the weight of something as small as a dumbbell, <laughs> which means he could probably accidentally kill people all the time right. <laughs> because he has no idea how much pressure he's using. Also, yeah. what, what a, uh, sort of dominating move here by, Lois Lane to like just start curling weights while she waits on him to shave. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, I was like yes. badass. Hell yes! <laughs> this is a very alpha Lois Lane uh, in this comic book. I like alpha Lois Lane. Yeah, yeah. she's she's fantastic. She's really amazing. <laughs> yeah, uh, I I I only thought the shaving thing one uh, is that how does he cut his hair if his if his hair is all super tough? You know, like. <laughs> Do you think he's just really, really good with that mirror and that? that no way! Vision? You cannot. Cut. <laughs> His haircut would look like singed hair all the time. <laughs> Why do you smell all the time, Clark? <laughs> like singed hair. Um, I anyway. don't know. I if well, we really answered... want answers for this, I'm sure there's yeah. been explanations before. Uh, but uh, you know, I I think I've seen like I think I've seen. Uh, a panel of him like wearing like a kryptonite necklace while getting a haircut from a barber before for instance yeah, <laughs> that I saw, might be like I, I saw Jimmy Olsen cutting his hair with kryptonite in the room mm-hmm. which seems particularly dangerous <laughs> <laughs> he's most vulnerable when he needs a trim <laughs> yeah right <laughs> yeah just don't go to Sweeney Todd um uh but I think also like if if you're using the uh if you are setting up the explanation that he has a personal force field, right? You could then, as a writer, set up an explanation that maybe he has some limited control over that force field, and that maybe that limited control allows you to let certain things affect you that otherwise don't. I don't know whether or not they actually use that or not, but if I was writing Superman and this was my starting off point, that's one of the ways that I would explain that. Mm. I feel like I get a no prize for that or something. Sure, Um, absolutely. Anyway, moving on to... Lex the Leprechaun. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh you got um, it too. That's what, that was what I thought. I thought he looked like the Leprechaun King because I, <laughs> I forgot to mention it, but when Jimmy Olsen first appears, he looks like a tiny man dressed all in green. Like he's a leprechaun. And so I felt like there was some connection between Jimmy Olsen 
and Lex Luthor, just because they're both in this sort of leprechaun hierarchy together. Great if they just discovered at some point that Lex is his dad. Um, <laughs> yeah, anyway, so they, they go to the rooftop of Clark's apartment, and they get in a LexCorp helicopter and are escorted to a massive yacht uh, that Lex is throwing a party at. And they get shown around, and eventually Lex shows up. Uh, and it's real clear that he's got the hots for Lois, and he's been trying to flirt with her, and he's been pursuing her for, it's implied, some time. Um, you know, probably years at this point, if not, like, many, many months. Um, I don't know. Yeah, uh, Lex, I don't, I didn't see a leprechaun here, but, um, my takeaway from this portrayal of Lex initially was, all I could think of was Gene Hackman, because he's got the red curly hair with, like, you know, sort of like the receding hairline, and he's very paunchy, you know, at the same time. Um, there's been other portrayals of Lex where, you know, he's much more fit than this. Uh, but this is still like the sort of, um, overweight Lex that I think was kind of the common portrayal of the character at the time. Did you guys notice what was going on with the hair through the whole comic? It's receding. Yeah. He actually loses hair continually throughout the entire issue. One of the things about this comic that I guess we haven't really touched on is that it's very explicit about the, the, uh, the, the length of time that passes in between the different story beats. Uh, it seems like in each story beat, each issue, some character calls out how many years it's been since like the previous sort of step in the story. I don't. Did you guys notice that? Oh, yes. in book five, you mean where he has considerably less hair on top? Oh yeah, as far as the hair thing goes, but also just that like it's 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 very explicit in this overall story that time is passing. Like, many yeah. years are passing. We start out when he's 18, and by the end of the story, uh, we've gotten yeah. to the point where it's very explicit that Superman is 28 years old. Right. And each one of these stories is, like, several years have passed. Like, it's somewhere between, like, you know, several years and, like, 18 months uh, each time. And so we're seeing an actual, like, recession of uh, Lex Luthor's hairline uh, through these final issues of the comic. So we see that he's actually going balder and balder uh, over the course of, like, just a few years. Um, at a rate that's pretty quick, I think, for somebody that's having a receding hairline at the age that he's he's kind of shown at here. It's, he looks like he's already like you know at least in, like in his mid thirties or so, and and we're seeing like a massive uh, loss of hair, uh, which I thought that was maybe like a a, a uh, foreshadowing for exposure to kryptonite. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, be I mean, an interesting I long play. <clears throat> yeah, I don't think that that's I don't think that that's yeah exactly. It's not explained in this story that that's what's happening, but. I kind of read it that way that I wonder if like, you know, later on in a year or two or whenever in the adventures of Superman or Superman or or whatever, they're going to say that Lex has been experimenting with the kryptonite and that he thought that it was uh, safe and it turns out it was not. Because I know that there was uh, some stuff later on down the road, maybe way later on down the road, where that was one of the the plot devices they used. Is that he caught cancer from kryptonite? (laughs) Yeah, that that yeah. it was definitely not as inert to humans or not as safe to humans as what he thought. They probably like bathe himself in it, so yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, well, I mean, there's no doubt that he keeps it close by once he realizes that it's you know uh, uh, Superman is weak to it. So, right. um, but so anyway, <laughs> Lois Lane freaks out because she's wearing his five thousand dollar dress mm-hmm. that she thought she was borrowing from him. Yeah, but when he says it's a gift, she flips the hell out. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. is an interesting line to draw, I it guess, because she's rejecting the quid pro quo part of that. I'm not sure what the, why that line is so distinct, but yeah, I, yeah. Um, I guess she, <clears throat> if it's a loner and she's just going for the night to enjoy the party, 
she's okay with that. But if this is the sort of thing that's supposed to actually buy her affection because it's a permanent gift, then maybe that's, you know, cross the line. Right. Or maybe it's just like, I, I don't know. I, it struck me as a sort of like <laughs> overly legalistic thing. Like as soon as he mentioned it was a gift, like she had to act like she would never take it because her journalistic ethics wouldn't allow it or something. Did she actually call out her journalistic ethics? No, I was just trying to figure out what the reasoning was. Oh, yeah. Um, but I anyway, she, she was referring to that. She literally strips down right there once she figures that out and has Clark give her uh, his jacket, puts that on. Uh, so then we see uh, she's actually not any more nude uh, with the jacket on uh, than she was in that dress because that was a very revealing dress. Probably because uh, there... both were at the very edge of what the Comics Code Authority would allow. <laughs> right. Just a little bit of side boob. Right. Mm-hmm. And all the leg. <laughs> Uh, they're walking away, and uh, she uh, insults Lex's hairline, says that he's starting to look like Fred Mertz, and Clark even calls that out as a low blow. Uh, but as they're walking away... I... <laughs> okay, I don't have that reference. If everybody else has it, we can just move on, but I do not know who Fred Mertz is. Yeah, I have no idea. Okay. Um, I should have looked it up, probably. I you know, don't care. <laughs> I'm assuming it's a bald guy that some somebody would know in 1986. Right. So. I looked it up, and it was uh, the fictional character from I Love Lucy. Ah. Oh, like the neighbor or boss or somebody? Uh, I think so. Because uh, it's not Lucy or Ricky, I'm sure. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Fred Mertz is the character in the show. It's played by an actor named William Frawley. Okay. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Well, so anyway. Uh, well, they, they got then... their dig in at him. Jeez. Ooh, yeah, good sick job. burn on Fred Mertz. Good job, burn. <laughs> burn burned him good. Oh, Lord. Uh, a group of... Are they... What are they? Argentinian? What are they? He... I do not know, but they look like they came right from the jungle, or... <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, they kind of look like half Vietnamese, half South American. A yeah. group of thugs with Uzis uh, holds up Clark and Lois, uh, and they are speaking... <laughs> Is there a, is there a name for when characters are using all English except for like one foreign word every now and then? Probably. There's probably a word oh, for like, that, right? Guess again, señorita. Exactly, or everything Gambit does. <laughs> oh yeah, mon ami. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Come this way with me, share. <laughs> Gambit show you good time. <laughs> like, you know, I don't know. Right. Yeah. Monami, yeah, exactly. So anyway, we've got them just throwing in random Spanish words. They've got them pistol whipping Clark, throwing him overboard. Um, Lois is real mad, uh, and then that gives Clark the opportunity to turn into Superman and lift the entire yacht up. That startles everybody, and that gives Lois her opening to kick a dude in the balls and steal his gun, and then she just starts firing it like Rambo three. Yes. Yeah, she is so awesome in this. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a little remembrance from Clark Kent. That's Lois there. Uh, Superman flies the yacht over to Lex's private island, sets it down there, and then flies back onto the yacht. We see an actual picture of Lois just continually firing the Uzi over the heads of this, like, like cartel gang. And there are <laughs> bullet all... holes everywhere. Yeah, like, there she's are. been firing it forever. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Like, she just reloaded and kept doing it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, she's definitely keeping them subdued by, by firing right over their heads. Uh, some guy gets the drop on Lois, but Superman flies in at the exact last minute, uh, blocks the bullets, and then we get a real cool series of panels of him, like, crunching the gun 
into like you know just a little bit more compressed piece of metal with each little crunch of his hand until he's right up on the guy's hands and he just says i'd think about letting go if i were you uh which i thought was a pretty cool moment for superman like he doesn't get a lot of like real badass moments like batman does where he gets to like kind of you know get a little zinger in like that and i thought that was a pretty good one for him yeah, that is a good one. Also, if you like to see guns destroyed, this is this is yeah. your bag. I mean, there have yeah. been like four, <laughs> four or five guns just crunched by a man's hand. Mm-hmm. I mean, he heat visioned some of them too, and they got hot. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so anyway, uh, so that that wraps things up as far as the danger goes. We see Lois and Superman kind of flirt with each other and. Uh, pat each other on the back. Mr. Mayor steps in and is very pleased. And then Lex tries to buy off Superman by giving him a check for $25,000. Superman explains that, you know, he's basically not for hire. Uh, And then it kind of comes to light that Lex basically let all of this happen and insists that, like, there was never anybody in any danger because he had a security team waiting in the wings. Um, But nobody really buys that. And then the mayor deputizes Superman and insists that he do his duty by arresting Lex. So we see Lex go to jail, uh, and then it kind of cuts to Superman three days later doing other Superman things, which uh, is apparently flying into a subway to rescue a pregnant woman who's gone into labor. Did you guys really pay attention to that panel? Nope. Uh, which one? The one with uh, where he enters the subway car with the lady giving birth. Mm-hmm. There's two people making out in a corner. Yeah, right. <laughs> they totally got hot. <laughs> Oh yeah, <laughs> little kind of an awkward place and time, don't you think? Man, I don't know. You were a teenager once. It's true. <laughs> Who cares, yeah. right? Who cares what's happening over there? That is true. We also see a guy with a Green Lantern shirt on, which I also thought was interesting. But anyway, Superman flies this lady to a hospital, and as then it says two hours later, he's walking out of the hospital. So apparently, he stayed there for the entire delivery. <laughs> yeah, <it's... laughs> this is more of like Superman is a creeper. Like, oh, okay, so you delivered me to the hospital, but now you're going to kind of come into the delivery room? and I I think at worst, it's a creeper thing. I think at best, he just has a terrible sense of priorities. (laughs) Um, As he's walking away, he mentions that he hopes that the baby doesn't get made fun of too much at school for having the middle name of Superman. Uh, And then we see that someone is taking a photo of Superman, which is something he's been trying to avoid all along. Uh, and as he's about to fly away, uh, Lex approaches him and threatens him because um, Lex apparently has been embarrassed. And then we move on to book five. Uh, book five opens with Superman delivering uh, the classic set of like armor that Lex has always kind of attacked Superman in. I don't know if you guys remember from like the Super Friends cartoon and um, the figures from back then and all yes, that. But this I was this that toy. set of armor. Yeah, yeah exactly. I had it. Yeah, this was the the armor that Lex was always always dressed in back then when he was just like a basically a crazy scientist rather than a like a a, a mostly legit businessman with like you know uh, CD under dealings and all that. Um, but anyway, we see him delivering that and the man inside of it back to Lex and saying that Lex is getting sloppy because there's LexCorp ID all over this stuff, um, and Lex basically has a story for it all and and shows that Superman can't actually link it back to him. Uh, so you know, Superman flies off, and then it cuts to Lex. A balder Lex, by the way, walking right. into a science room with a man named Dr. Tang, who is being translated from Chinese, uh, working on science stuff. And they basically have a conversation about whether or not the experiment's going to work. And they said that the data was fed into the matrix as planned. Uh, that then gives birth to a Superman clone, 
or what looks like a Superman clone. Uh, the Superman clone immediately kind of falls over to the side, and they have a conversation about how uh, it's imperfect because, as the censors detected, Superman is not human, and the instruments and the machines were calibrated for a human to be cloned, uh, not an alien or a you know something non-human. They they basically put two and two together and figure out that Superman's an alien right away somehow. Uh, and so we just kind of see the, the Superman clone laying on the ground. Uh, cuts to Metropolis. We see Lois talking to her sister, who's apparently blind. Um, we get a couple panels of them explaining, you know, that she's having a hard time being blind. We see, like, a panel of her looking extremely lonely and sad. Uh, and then we see uh, an ambulance blow a tire, and we see Superman although we never see Superman's face, uh, rescue the ambulance and fly away. We then see Lois's sister, uh, what's her name? Lucy? L- uh, Lucy. Yes, that's right. Uh, she's getting ready to commit suicide. Because she, she can't of- be a flight attendant anymore. Yes. That's why, because they won't accept blind flight attendants. I don't know if I even... I wonder. Do you think that there's blind flight attendants? No. I've never met, met or seen one, so probably not, right? How how in an emergency would you be able to direct people, right? Some blind people are super competent at getting around and uh, interacting with their environment. I don't know. If a plane's, like, like beeping and going down or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> because in that circumstance, the blind person's going to be overwhelmed by all the sensory input. Yeah. Daredevil style. And Daredevil style. <laughs> unable to do their job. Pretty much. Okay, yeah, I buy that. All right, so she can't be a flight <laughs> attendant, so she jumps off a building. Uh, and then this Superman that we don't see the face of rescues her. She doesn't know that it's not Superman. She just assumes it is because she's blind. Uh, and she mentions that he's dusty, and then well, he yeah, flies but how, away. Frankly, how does she even know it's Superman? Because she can't see. Well, who else would it be? Well, I don't know. Maybe somebody on the street caught her. Flew. I mean, does she know how far she has to fall? Well, we also see that the, the, a panel of him actually flying her upward. Yeah, I guess that's true. I guess she just assumes it's Superman. She knows know. she's flying. I would assume it's Superman if I'm in Metropolis. Yeah, I guess that's fair. I mean, this isn't a point where we have, like, Superboy flying around or Supergirl flying around or Steel or any of those other heroes that eventually wind up in Metropolis. At this point, it's only Superman, so it has to be Superman. Like, the only other indication we've had of any other flying heroes here is a man on a subway wearing a Green Lantern t-shirt. Yep, Exactly. Yeah. Um, anyway, so she assumes it's Superman, and then she touches him and says, so dusty. Uh, and then he flies away. <laughs> He's got a skin condition. Yeah, he does. Uh, we see Lois bursting into the Daily Planet and saying, greetings, wage slaves, what's news? <laughs> right. And he says, and Clark Kent responds, it would be news if you came in one morning and didn't say that, Lois. Meaning yeah. that's her catchphrase. Yeah. Every morning she comes in and calls them all wage slaves. Yes. It is a super alpha Lois Lane. Um, Clark overhears some stuff about, uh, I guess Jimmy comes in and talks about the latest weirdy, which is the story about a uh, a clothing store being broken into and a $100 suit being stolen, even though it's right next to a jewelry shop with $50,000 worth of precious stones in the window. Um, we see Superman uh, hear some screaming and he kind of like runs off. He also uses x-ray vision to look down in the lobby. I really like this panel where we see <laughs> the, the Superman duplicate in his $100 jacket over the Superman outfit with what looks like yellow pants over the Superman, like like leggings or whatever. Yes, right. It, he's, he's dressed like a street person who has to wear all their clothes all the he time. He does look like a crazy hobo. 
Um, so anyway, Clark speeds down the stairs, changes into his costume as he's going, and taps the uh, <laughs> the other Clark on the back. We see that his skin is now completely white. The uh, the alternate Clark, it's gone from like basically like the peachy normal skin tone that Superman has to just completely like bone white. Um, and he turns around and he's got this really creepy <laughs> hair, creepy face. This is Dooms or not Doomsday. This is this is Bizarro. I don't think they ever actually mentioned that it's Bizarro, but it's Bizarro. If you've ever seen Bizarro in any other like publication of Superman where he's got the the crazy white skin and it's basically a clone of Superman and everything, this is Bizarro right here. His hair is all messed up. It looks like somebody like cut the hair off of some sort of doll and then like just plopped it on his head. Um, <laughs> and they it's fight doll hair. Yeah, I like how he puts the glasses on. Bizarro puts these glasses on and it just <laughs> clocks him. Just... Yep. Well, he's a great Scott, and then he thinks, and then he touches him on the arm, and he goes, her? And then he just punches him through the wall into a bus with uh, an advertisement for Smoke Hackers cigarettes on it, which I appreciated. There you go. That's some subtle uh, anti-smoking <laughs> rhetoric right there. <laughs> to go um, with all the subtle anti-gun rhetoric. That's yeah, right. no kidding. So we've got Superman basically fighting Hobo Bizarro in the streets. Uh, they go back and forth with their powers. It's clear that Bizarro has all the same powers that Superman has. Um, and eventually, <laughs> Lois runs out there, and Bizarro is completely uh, distracted by her, grabs her, flies away. Uh, is this the point where he kisses her? Yeah, he kisses her up in yep. the sky. Um, and then lands with her next to her sister, Lucy. And we get the first impression that Lucy is starting to be able to see. Uh, apparently, the front, since the last time that this new Superman uh, saved her, she's been able to start seeing shapes and shadows. Uh, Superman lands, and the fight begins again, because what else are you going to do with a bizarre Superman? Uh, they continue to fight. They tussle each other through the city. Um, and Superman starts to realize that dust is coming off of him every time he moves, and he uses his microscopic vision to determine that it's not organic, that this duplicate superman is made of the components to mimic living cells but they are not alive so then he says that he's some sort of android an artificial being just one step ahead of a robot then says he's got that gives him one chance but only one so it doesn't explain it all no there's no explanation as why he doesn't have two or three chances (laughs) his one chance is to slam into this guy as hard as he can and to basically disintegrate him which, Which is, is so Superman, right? Like, yeah. the answer is never, like, Batman, like, figure out another way. <laughs> use your brain. It's just hit him as hard as you possibly exactly, can. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, just completely collide with this thing full force. Which he does, and then we see what looks like snow. It's basically, like, the uh, the dust that was coming <laughs> off of him before. He's now nothing but dust and uh, falls onto Lucy, who now has full vision. So she can see now. Uh, so this robot with a skin condition, or clone with a skin condition cures blind people yep <laughs> okay uh, did anyone else also notice that he came out the clone came out with the costume yes <laughs> the clone. i just thought it was weird i didn't notice it until like you guys were pointing out and i was like wait a second they blew away his clothing and he's he had the suit underneath I'm like where did he get the exact du- duplicate suit from and then i was flipping back and i was like oh he got it right out of the womb mm-hmm. yep he was yeah, born I guess that they way. felt like if they were going to make a clone Superman, they had to make him identical. So that they gave him the outfit and everything. <laughs> they just encoded know. that into his DNA. It's just right. part of his skin. Yeah. <laughs> his DNA included a costume. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Uh, I, the only other thing that's, I think, relevant here is that they say, you knew Superman? Basically, that if he destroyed him, that it would restore her sight. And he says that he didn't know that, but somehow he thinks he did. 
So I guess he's implying that Bizarro sacrificed himself by slamming into Superman so that he could become snow that would heal her vision. Yep, absolutely. Uh, okay. That's why he always talked like Frankenstein's monster, because <laughs> he was yeah. a genius. Okay, last issue here uh, is an issue that's more personal. We see Superman fly back to Smallville to spend some time at home. Um, basically, we first of all, Ma and Pa can't pick him up, and they imply that there's something that they haven't told him and that they're not going to tell him right now. Um, and we kind of see Superman talking to them about Lois and how he's really into her, but she doesn't like him as Clark. She was really into Superman. One of the reasons is because he scooped her so early on and she hasn't let that grudge go. Um, we see him having a difficult time sleeping and we see him kind of get up in the middle of the night to go down and get some pie. Yes. Uh, and as he's doing that, a, a Krypton ghost just appears out of nowhere and scares him. It's so Jor-El the Diet Coach. Yes. No! Don't eat that pie. So spooky Krypton Ghost is talking to him in diamonds and weird circles and infinity symbols um, and touches him, which then basically sends him tumbling um, and hallucinating that he's back on Krypton and he's trying to make sense of all of this. Uh, but he does realize that he's back in his Superman costume. And at that point, like we, we kind of see him realize that he's on an alien planet. We see his mother approach him. And in this weird hallucination, she realizes that that's not Jor-El. That is her son. Uh, and then it kind of fades from his mother, Lara, to Lana Lang, his childhood sweetheart. Uh, and now we're back to actual reality. They're like outside the house. He's in his robe and PJs, and she's standing there. Uh, and they have a little heart-to-heart where she talks about how 10 years ago... In high school. In high school. He took her out and basically revealed a secret to her. And this basically ruined her. Yep. (laughs) Um, Basically, that's the summary. Like, he flew her around and showed that he's, you know, got powers. And she didn't know how to process that and was furious. And not only that, but he left her. You know, Right, yeah. She thought he was going to ask her to marry him. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. He flew her around and was like, see ya. Look what I can do. (laughs) That's right. I'm out of here. Peace. I don't even need to graduate. I'm magic. <laughs> I've got super thoughts. Um, so he, so basically, she talks about how she was furious at him, thought about revealing a secret, basically like stalked him, uh, and eventually she let it go. Um, and she realized that what he did, he did out of love. Uh, and then we kind of see him wandering as Superman again, back towards his rocket ship, trying to come to sense of, you know, like what he should do about Lois, and you know, like whether or not Superman is something that's going to prevent him from having love it seems like because uh, you know, obviously that's something that's important to him kind of wondering what what he is where he came from all this so he goes to the ship and he realizes the ship is gone and then the Jor-El ghost comes back <laughs> yeah. uh, and it's talking English this time in panel um, I think it's just a uh, it's implied or it's explicit that he's understanding him now um, and Jonathan and Martha show up <laughs> Mon Pa and uh, they see the Jor-El ghost and try to intervene. They hit it with a shovel. Pa yes, does. this is the this is the other best scene in in the entire book for me. Is when like pause there outlining gold, striking the ghost of Jor-El with a shovel and destroying yeah. him. Yep. So he, that apparently disrupts the metal of the shovel, disrupted the holographic projection, but it also blew up the end of the shovel. So he's just left with the handle. <laughs> um and basically Superman you know they ask what that's all about and he says I don't know there's so much stuff jumbled up in my head and he says I've got to go away uh from this place and he flies away and we see Superman flying and basically 
lots of thought balloons talking to himself about you know his place on earth what the whole point of what he is should be uh talking about like being the last survivor of krypton and the fact that he landed in america which is like the 15th time that america was mentioned in these six issues Mm -hmm. yep um yep we see him kind of reflect on how important all of this new knowledge about his home planet is but then saying that it's ultimately all meaningless because he is born or yeah he was born when the rocket opened on earth in america that's right so america that's right uh so it was krypton that made him superman but it's earth that makes him human and that is where man of steel ends with superman basically just doubling down on the fact that he is an earth man first and a superman second um which i guess kind of sets the tone for his character uh for the years to come i think he's an american first for sure (laughs) then an earth man Then somebody who left Krypton. Uh, it's no big <laughs> secret that, I mean, for the long time it was truth, justice, and the American way, right? I mean, that didn't change until probably, like, the late 90s or 2000s or something. Um, yeah. It was a while before America stopped being such a central part to Superman and a lot of other DC comics, you know, like Justice League instead of Justice League of America, right? Yeah. Um, things like that were, were changes that occurred with the comics. So, anyway, in a general sense, like, just a general opinion what did, what did you guys think of the story i i'll start i i mean i think it was a good retelling of the origin story um i thought it was interesting uh i mean for one to compare it to batman right we talked about how the scott snyder start on batman new 52 was an interesting take in that it introduced all of these elements without taking us through the tried and true origin story this kind of goes the other way in doing the origin story but it kind of goes much further than you'd expect You've got the traditional origin story, him growing up, but then you've got all of these other sort of iconic first meetings and the development of relationships and things like that. And I mean, you know, just taking care of the whole Lana thing, um, you know, all in this sort of one book in a sort of relatively quick six issues. It's just a, a different and interesting way to kind of have a definitive start to the character. Yeah. <clears throat> Did you enjoy it, Brian? Uh, yeah, I enjoyed certain books. I can't say. I think the Lex Luthor ones I did not like. They're a little and less. There's a little less uh, fun and interesting things happening in those books. I guess that's true. Yeah, I guess it was just kind of maybe tropey in some ways, and I just yeah that bothered but you. I, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. But I, you know, I thought it was really cool. Uh, you know, the arc that they did from the first book with the multiple chapters. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of establishing a lot of canon, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I mentioned earlier. I mean, the Lex, uh, Lex Luthor that I thought of, you know, is is someone who <clears throat> also kind of like Batman can outsmart Superman every now yeah. and again. This Lex Luthor, at least initially, didn't really strike me as someone who could. He kind of got these South Americans to attack them or didn't at least try to prevent it. And then, like, admitted that in front of everyone, and the mayor just said, hey, Superman, why don't you take him to jail? And, like, that was it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think the most impressive thing we see out of Lex in these issues, uh, we see him get out of jail in two hours. It's said that he was back on the street within two hours, and we see him avoid uh, being implicated in the crimes that he is involved in, even when Superman is the one that's figured it all out. We see him uh, find a way to avoid... 
uh, being able to be fingered with that suit that attacked Superman, like, you know, in like the fourth or fifth issue. Right. Uh, so that's, that's the cleverest thing we see out of Lex, but otherwise you're right. We don't see him on the same level of like a criminal genius, criminal mastermind that we see, uh, you know, I think in some other fictions that we've seen, maybe even in like the animated series, we've probably all seen some of that. And I think he's portrayed as particularly clever there. Um, so yeah, that's true. So what did you think of? I really enjoyed it. Um, I always, so it's easy to shit on Superman, right? Yeah. Can we all agree on that? Like, it's easy to say that Superman is a boring character, that it's hard to tell a compelling Superman story because he's just so powerful. But I think that this was, it's two things for me. It was a, the right place at the right time because we, Batman versus Superman had just come out, you know, like a month or two prior to us reading this. And that left a terrible taste in my mouth. And, um, reading this was a reminder of how bright and optimistic Superman should be, right? We mm-hmm. get to see a Superman who is very much like a symbol of hope and good. Um, and I know we kind of talked about how it's a little bit skewed in these earlier comics where, you know, if, if people weren't thinking about like privacy issues and, and, you know, things like that at the time, then, you know, like now it looks kind of like it's, it's kind of glaring how, how many issues there are with Superman knowing where everybody lives and like, you know, policing Metropolis to the point where there's absolutely zero obvious crime. Right. Right. Um, like that's very much like police state type stuff, but, um, ignoring that it's a very optimistic, bright sort of comic. And that was refreshing to me. The other thing is that I am at some deep DNA level, a huge Superman fan, regardless of how bad Superman often is. And regardless of how, um, silly Superman often is, I don't, maybe it's just because we grew up during that Christopher Reeve era with super friends on the air and everything. And like, you know, he's obviously the most like obvious superhero to any little kid, but you know, I never, I I was reading Superman comics, you know, almost as much as any other comic in the nineties when we were into comics, uh, you know, in high school. And I kind of feel like every time I come back to a good Superman story, it reminds me of how much I love the character and how much I love the world that he comes from. Um, how much I love seeing him contrasted with things like Lex and Batman and Lois even, you know, and um, that made it enjoyable to me. I loved reading this comic, maybe as much as I've loved some of the other comics that we've read uh, that I would currently say have been my favorite comics that we've read for this podcast so far. Hmm. That's I mean, I think that's particularly interesting. I've I think I've always fallen somewhat on the other side of right. that, although I mean, it's I don't know. I think there was something very um, nostalgic about coming back to a book like this with with Superman. So much of it reminded me of the early Christopher Reeve mm-hmm. movies. Um, you know, <clears throat> so it was kind of a story that we all knew, and that we kind of knew the the shapes of these relationships that that get formed. But it's I, I don't know. I mean, I just think if in contrast to Batman or some of the Marvel titles that we're more used to, um, or I'm more used to, I should say. Um, you know, there's there's not the edge of darkness that you. I I think I come to superhero comics kind of looking for some sort no, of it's, yeah realism. It's uh, not that at all, right? That's yeah, it's the point. part of why I enjoy it. It's so when you're going, you read a good Batman story. It's interesting because there's so much intriguing ideas in those Batman comics where there's mysteries involved, and you know, there's there's very conflicted gray areas with people who have like, you know, um, 
gray behavior, right? Like there may be like Batman's doing things where the, the ends justify the means, right? Um, you know, you've got maybe like the most graphic murders and crimes occurring in those Batman comics out of anything that was like came out of the comics code era. Uh, and you don't see that necessarily in Batman, right? Um, I think we talked about that in the, uh, the first Batman podcast we did where there was a guy pinned up against the wall with a bunch of knives that had like impaled him and we, we mentioned that it was like a scene out of seven and that that was in stark contrast to the iron man comics that we had read before which were more in tone closer to this right yeah absolutely yeah um but when i read a superman comic that's like this the fact that it's so bright and so sanitized and so full of hope and light and all of that to me that's it's maybe not as interesting as some of the mysteries and the intrigue of those dark comic books like, you know, Batman and X-Men and everything, but it's very comforting. It's like a security blanket of a comic book that I'm putting on for a night and being very comforted by the fact that Superman's always out there. Superman's smiling in the sky and he's rescuing, you know, boats from crazy gangs from the cartel he's rescuing ladies on subways who are having babies you know like he's he's just swooping down and stopping criminals without really hurting them at all but making sure that he stuffs them in a trash can and throws them on a li- up on a light i love that you know i love that there's some guy out there in this world who is he- he's helping people from like you know like the, the person that just lost as small as a crime is like losing their their pearl necklace to you know in the future stopping alien invasions and everything i love that there's a guy that can be concerned with all of that yep so yeah that's why i like superman any other thoughts you guys nope not for me no nope. any other favorite lines or anything we kind of like read a lot of them as we were going through so uh yeah i mean my favorite one was definitely the uh when uh, uh oh well i will point out this one thing i did notice that uh Women's names on Krypton suck compared to the men's names. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> they're like normal Laura white lady names instead of like Kara. yeah, yeah. But uh, they're Jor El and Kal El and Von Vlor or whatever uh, Laura's father's name was. They didn't really use the L surname with uh, with Laura at all. I guess did they? Uh, no, because her last name is her father's name. Oh yeah, Zor El, right? Yeah, something like that. Well, I guess maybe I'm thinking of of. Kara Zorel is the his his cousin. Yeah. But. Anyway, uh, but my favorite line was yeah when uh, when she sees the Kansas man, <laughs> and that he he his his bears his naked flesh his hairy flesh uh-huh. bears it to the air. So your favorite part was the uh, soil was the female Kryptonian orgasm then. Yeah, pretty much. Okay, <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah. That's a really solid one. I think my favorites come from. Actually, as Brian mentioned, Ray Bradbury, the famous science fiction writer, Fahrenheit 451, all that, uh, wrote sort of a introduction to the book. And uh, he is a he's a unique guy. I mean, you might read this if, if you read it in the right way. I think you could see him as sort of your crazy uncle who just says <laughs> yeah. all sorts of things. Um, there are a couple of lines from this that I'll read quickly that I thought were were pretty good. Um, uh, and as, as I think I've mentioned in the podcast before, I'm an attorney, so maybe this first one stands out to me for this reason. Uh, and he says, for every time I pick up the newspaper or watch TV, there is some new technology growing out of the earth or rushing across the sky with scientists and lawyers watching or pursuing same, trying to make breaking the sound barrier law or space law, <laughs> which I thought was particularly <laughs> good. Uh, you know, I, I just think... I like the idea that Chuck Yeager breaking the sound barrier started a whole new area of law 
uh, one of which, of course, I've never heard of. Um, the other one, the other part that I'll, I'll read from here is, Superman is the product of everything we were and are and have become since the Luddites ran into the Scotch manufactories 175 years ago to beat up on the machines that were taking away their jobs. Which I just <laughs> think is Ray Bradbury going pretty far afield to add some additional weight to Superman. But anyway, um, uh, you know, I guess rest in peace, Ray Bradbury. We yep. really lost a special guy. Thanks, Ray. Um, yeah, I'm just going to call out every time Lois opens her mouth is my favorite part of the comic book. She is amazing. Yeah, it's really... I think that this is uh, this is a fun read if you're into that Silver Agey sort of dialogue um and and action so yeah all right uh anything you guys want to highlight that you've been enjoying other media other comics anything to that effect i have something yeah let's hear it all right i've got two podcasts that i'm gonna mention um so we are uh probably when this gets (laughs) let out still in a presidential election season um yeah yeah and i get (laughs) (laughs) there's only so much the sort of current uh, political podcasts can cover. Um, and so there's not, you know, you can't really binge on them because they're all covering the same news. But um, there are two good sort of historical podcasts on uh, presidential elections and campaigns. One is the Whistle Stop podcast, which is John Dickerson of Slate's Political Gap Fest and Face the Nation. He does um, sort of a historical look at campaigns specifically. So he's taking a look at for example, the the fight between Gerald Ford and Ronald Reagan in, in 1976, and um, you know the the sort of fight at the at the convention uh, for them all the way back to 1840, which was I guess uh, as far as I know the first sort of hitting of the campaign trail uh, huh. for any presidential election. And then the other one that I'll mention is one that I've just gotten into, which is called Presidential, which is done by the Washington Post. And Lillian Cunningham is the one who is sort of chairs that. And she talks to a lot of um, famous historians, David McCullough uh, and journalists, Bob Woodward, um, and some other figures who have written books on or um, done sort of reporting on uh, past presidents. And so the idea was they've started at the beginning of 2016, and they're going to run one new podcast a week for 44 weeks covering the 44 presidents. Um and it's it's been pretty pretty good quality so far. Wow, cool. That's so, neat. Um, yep. That's really interesting that he's gone back and, and been able to find information on campaigns that far back. Yeah, yeah. There definitely are, are records of some of the things that were done and sort of the early campaigning where they, um, you know, there was a lot of handing out of beer and, and various <laughs> things to the common man. And, I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's obviously a product of sort of the expansion of the you know the the people who were allowed to vote right so more and more white men yeah. at the time yeah. were allowed to vote and so then uh you know you start to get out there and um uh, you know what what interests them and what gets them involved in politics it's usually <laughs> mm-hmm. going around to where they live and handing them beer <laughs> you should take a tour of the benjamin harrison home where they go over his campaigns that's right i should yeah i work like yeah <laughs> not very far from there yeah we went and we saw all about his campaigns. He was like the the porch uh, campaigner or something because he campaigned from his porch. Had like newspaper clips of it and stuff. He nice. just like stood out on his porch and just like yelled at people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey you! <laughs> As hey! people walked by. Yeah, pretty much. And you can go to where he did it. It's crazy. 
It is pretty crazy. We'll do a field trip. We'll podcast it. Yeah. Okay. Brian, <laughs> do you have uh, something you want to talk about? Uh, not really. You know, as I know, that I've only been playing Dark Souls 3. So. <laughs> Tell our fair listeners what Dark Souls 3 is like and how you've been enjoying it. It's amazing. Uh, I don't know. It's hard to describe, really, now that I've played so many of these kind of games. Oh, gosh. I can't believe many people that care about video games would not know, be somewhat familiar with Dark Souls at this point. All they, all, uh, actually, I was talking to somebody at, uh, at work, and all they knew was that it was a very difficult game. And I was like, that's not really it. And I'm like, that's that's the fun mechanic. While, you know, like, initially, you think of this as, like, a very defeatist kind of mechanic, but it's actually the mechanic that helps you learn how it's, to play the game. I think of it as a risk-reward mechanic. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. Meaning, what, so how so? How, how does the risk-reward... Ah, so uh so you go through unknown areas right mm-hmm. and uh then something all of a sudden jumps out at you and kills you and you're like what the and then you go back and you know that thing's there so now you have like your shield out or you like creep around the corner and then you kill it and you're like oh my god i just defeated the thing that just killed me right and as long as you do it the first time you can pick up the souls you lost the last time which are basically the currency or the xp in the right. game Right. Uh, not only that, but I feel like the combat is a risk-reward sort of system because you've got such a limited stamina pool and such a limited health pool and everything hits so hard that every single action you take that you dedicate yourself to in that game is a risk, and you've got to make sure that it's the risk you want to take. <laughs> right, because there's yeah. there's animation priority, right? Things, Correct, yeah. Yeah, weapons swing slowly at some, or at least yeah. some do. But you're not yeah. powerless. If, you know, when we swing our swords and we hit something... If we do it at the right time and we, we pick our we pick our window correctly, we wreck things. You know, like you're you're definitely killing stuff within like three or four blows that can also kill you in two or three blows. Mm-hmm, so yeah. it's not unfair. There's just risk and reward. It's well balanced. Yeah. 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 And there's there's it sounds like there's a lot of required pattern recognition yeah. in some ways to kind of definitely. remember yes. where things are and Yeah. Yeah. And there's satisfaction in that. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I uh, I've been playing a lot of that too. It so happens with Brian. So my uh, <laughs> comic book reading has slowed a little bit. However, uh, I'll talk about a couple things here. Uh, Batman, uh, the Scott Snyder, Greg Capullo run recently ended, and uh, the most recent issue, their last issue, I believe it was Batman Fifty One, was basically just like a little send off uh, to Batman from them, and I believe also a little bit to them from you know, the opportunity (laughs) of writing that comic. Uh, And it was very, very bittersweet. Uh, It was very, it was very cool having done the podcast we've already done with Court of Owls because there was quite a few callbacks to a lot of the elements that we read about in Court of Owls within that issue. Like, it, it wrapped around and touched a lot of the threads that they left throughout the entire run, but it, it kind of seemed like there were more in the Court of Owls that, than other other storylines that they that they wrote to me. Um, so there's a lot of things that I recognized in there. I think I mentioned to you guys that I, I wanted to bring it up on the podcast at some point and kind of, like, reflect on it a little bit, but I only read it a couple weeks ago, so it's relevant right now for me to mention it. Um Aside from that, I haven't had a lot of time to read anything real in-depth, but uh, I've read a several of the relaunched uh, Marvel comics post-Secret Wars, and uh, the one that kind of stood out to me that I'm really waiting for the next one on, because I'm reading them on Marvel Unlimited right now, so it's you know six months behind, uh, Extraordinary X-Men, number one. Um, I'm really 
anxious to see where that goes. It's basically like Storm putting the X-Men back together after they've kind of been disassembled and the issue ends with her finding old man Logan rather than the normal Wolverine. You know, like they kind of spend the rest of the issue recruiting people like Colossus and uh, young Jean Grey Mm -hmm. um, and like going off to try to find Nightcrawler, although I don't know if they even... I don't think that they've necessarily found him yet. Um, but it's it's kind of a cool, like, putting the band back together start to the X-Men. Um, and I like the cast they're assembling. They've got Colossus, Magic. Uh, they're going to have Old Man Logan, Young Jean Grey, Nightcrawler Storm, maybe Iceman, looks like. Um, but, yeah, uh, it, was a, it was a cool start to, I think, what's going to be a, an interesting era of X-Men. So uh, I enjoyed that. And I would suggest that you check it out especially if you have Marvel Unlimited and you're interested at all in the X-Men. Yeah, it sounds like they they have a lot of sort of fodder to put together some different good teams because they've, mm-hmm. you know, brought back, you know, the original X-Men from, you know, through some sort of time travel that Beast yeah. did and, you know, then they yeah. scattered to different places. And, you know, it's it's very interesting to kind of break down all of this stuff and kind of build it back up in different ways. Yeah, there's a lot of there's been a lot of cool X Men stories and sort of like um, ideas to run with with the X Men in, in different ways with the different comics and the different teams over the last few years because uh, so many of them have gone in so many different directions. But um, yeah, and it's I mean it's interesting because you've got sort of different realities of Old Man Logan and and Young Gene, you know, and whatever yeah. relationship develops out of there. Because, you know, when you restart these comics and you have all of the same people again, I think you we all wait for them to kind of fall back into the same relationships. You know, that there's it's harder to kind of go further afield. But when you've got different versions of the characters, um, you, you know, ostensibly they're bringing something different to the table and you might shake it up and get new and interesting relationships. Marvel's definitely shaken their lineup. Uh, in the last few years, everything's different right now. Um, <laughs> but anyway, we're, we won't go into that too much in detail. Uh, okay, uh, I think that's going to be it for the podcast today. Um, we've been kind of deciding what we're going to read after we're done recording, so I'll probably just start interjecting at the end with uh, an indication to our listeners uh, about what we'll be actually recording or talking about the next time. So we won't necessarily try to call it out uh in line with the the current recording at the end of the podcast anymore. Um, but I will, I'll tack it on at the end. So unless there's anything else we need to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. The beauty of audacity, Um, but that's going to be it, I guess. Right. Yay. All right. Thanks everybody. We will be back in two weeks with the unbeatable squirrel girl volume one squirrel power you guys can also find our website at theamazer.com and we also have an email address there so if you'd like to drop us a line please email us at amazerpodcast at theamazer.com that's amazerpodcast a-m-a-z-e-r-p-o-d-c-a-s-t at theamazer.com all right thanks everybody Bye. bye bye